The blast from our past network. Welcome to Comics Underground, a podcast discussing comic books, graphic novels, and more. I'm your host, John Spees, and with me today is Miss Jody Steele. Hi, Jody. Hello. How are you today? Oh, living the dream as usual. How are you? Uh, I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm excited uh, to talk to you about this because uh, this was probably more reading uh, for this than I've had to do for any other uh, book that we've talked about so far. And today we are going to discuss the kind of first volume graphic novel uh, that was released. Um, I believe technically the graphic novel was released in 1992, uh, but the comic strip that essentially it came from started in 1980, around 1980, and went to 1991, and that is Mouse, M-A-U-S, the German spelling, which if you have been paying attention to the news, um, I don't know, several months ago, it was on the news because it was banned, and immediately I was like, well, now I got to buy that book. I don't know about you, but if anyone is like, oh, this book is being banned in a school system, I'm like, well, then that means I need to read it. Yeah, tell me I'm not supposed to do something and that I immediately want to do it. So telling me <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't no- read it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. Nothing gives something more credibility and, and uh, PR than telling someone they can't read it or can't look at it or can't do something with it. And then there, you know, if I ever make something and someone's like, this is the devil. No one should do this. I'm mean, like, great, because now the money is going to come pouring in because now everyone's going to want to read it. Yep, exactly. And I feel like that's uh, happened with this book. I feel like I've heard it discussed a lot more than I had in mm-hmm. the past. Yeah. To be fair, or to be honest, really, I actually had never heard of this book, which I find really surprising considering kind of the notoriety it has. Um, it actually won, it is to date, the only graphic novel, I believe, to win a Pulitzer Prize. Um, which sounds like a really good trivia question, now that I think about it. <laughs> Jot that down. <laughs> write that down for later. Um, and it was written and drawn um, by a cartoonist named Art Spiegelman, um, who used to run a magazine... Um, oh, what was it called? I just had it in front of me, and I just lost it. And I'm gonna look it up. And as soon as I see it, I'm going to remember the name of it. Because that is Raw. See, I told you, uh, Raw was the name of the magazine that he put out with his wife, uh, Francoise Mouly, who was uh, French. And I, I, this, oddly enough. This is the second when I was looking up Art Spiegelman and, and uh, stuff. France. This is the second time today I've come across the name Francois, and I had to look up the pronunciation because I swore it was Francois, and that it was a male name, but that was with no e at the end and a slightly different spelling, I think. Um, and that Francois would be male, but Francois is female. Yeah. Yeah. I, I ran across that too. I think he dedicates the book to her in the beginning. And I mm-hmm. literally had the same thought. I was like, I thought that was a boy name and I Googled it because that's how we roll. And I also learned that fact reading this book. So I'm glad we're there <laughs> together. <laughs> All right. Uh, and actually she does technically appear in the book. Uh, she is mentioned uh, once 
Yeah, um, I think the dad asked why he why she didn't join them for dinner or something along those lines. Yeah. So this is very interesting because it, even though it is a graphic novel um, and it depicts all of the characters as animals, it is technically nonfiction, which is a really fascinating way to tell to tell a family story, I think. Um, before we get into all of that, I want to ask you, how were you introduced to this book? Um, so I first, so I was always a reader growing up. I was that weird kid that was like always reading a book. And, um, after it was definitely after high school, I'm going to say like early, I graduated in 2004, not to date myself here, but so like, don't worry, I'm still older than you. So uh, say like 2006, seven or, or so, um, I used to literally just go to bookstores and browse around and grab books. And this was one that I just happened to grab. I had never read or even considered a graphic novel or comic before. Um, my comics were like the Sunday funnies at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, the cover art was what grabbed my attention. Uh, if you've ever seen it, it has uh, a, um, I don't know, play, like a nice way to put it. It's Hitler as a kitty cat with like a spot stick up behind it and two yeah. kind of cowering mouse on the co- mice on the cover meat mice yeah. mice <laughs> brain just forgot the plural for mouse um and i was like what the heck is that and i just kind of flipped through it and i grabbed it which is something i did a lot back then and i do remember that when i got it i finished it within like i just sat down and read it and finished the whole thing it is a mm-hmm. quick read um you could definitely get through it in a few hours for sure um and that was a long time ago and i uh back then i don't know about you but after you have kids are you like a softy now like softy how like before i had a kid i could like read any book with whatever content watch any movie didn't bother me and then i had kids and like now i have like empathy and a heart and like those things are more difficult (laughs) yeah yeah i can i can definitely see that um the i um when i when i became a teacher a licensed teacher um I had to go through student teaching, and by the time I was a student teacher, uh, I already had one child. I had already had one child because um, I started I started getting my teaching license late in the game. And when I went to – and forever, forever, I would have said, there's no way I'm going to teach elementary school. There's no way you could get me to teach elementary school. I can't deal with kids that young. I want to teach high school. That's what I was used to. And then I had to go do student teaching, and I had to do middle school first. And I'm glad I did middle school first, or else I would have ended up hating, or I would have ended up with student teaching leaving a bad taste in my mouth, because I didn't have a great experience. I don't. I to this day, I really do not like working with middle school kids. Um, I mean, I have you could one, not, and I don't. You could not. I know. I have one too now. You cannot pay me enough to really teach at a middle school at all. Um, so then I also did. Uh, my student teaching at an elementary school it was required we had to do one secondary one primary um so after the secondary i went to teach elementary school now it helped a couple things helped one i had a child so i was able to kind of empathize and kind of it it, i'm trying not to make this sound bad but i could get down to their level uh easily without you know feeling like i was making an idiot myself because i've seen so many you know um college kids who come in to teach elementary kids and like they don't know how to speak to kids that age 
Um, the other things that helped me is my student teacher was um, close to my age, and he was also a drummer. So we connected immediately, and also it also helped that I was already over 30 years old at that point. I was the oldest student teacher I'd ever had. Normally, he had... Um, you know, people who were fresh out of college, you know, 21, 22 years old. And so it helped, it helped that I also had done teaching at all. You know, at that point I had, I'd been a, a freelance music instructor. So that was a very long diatribe to say, yes, I understand roughly <laughs> that I've become a softie since I've had kids, but yeah. Yeah. So my, my initial read of the book, I loved it. It was hard to read. And it's a Holocaust story. It's, yeah. you know, it's going to have hard things. Um, and I liked it and it was good. And then rereading it again now as a parent, as someone that's significantly older, um, it just hits different. Um, oh, yeah. you, you're allowed to be selfish when you're younger, I think. And then, you, of course, you always empathize with the characters in the books you're reading. So, of course, um, you, you imagine, what if I was in that situation? What if I had to right. go hide? What if I had to, you know, was being persecuted for my my race, my religion, whatever? And it, when it's just you, it's one thing. And then when, in, in, in the book, they, you know, uh, the main character has a family to take care of. Mm-hmm. And reading it again, I'm just it, like, I was like, oh, my God, like, what would I do if I had to, like, flee my home with my my kid? You know, like, yeah, it just adds a whole nother level to it. So rereading it again, I just saw it through like a different perspective as a parent, especially uh, spoiler alert for later in the book. Like, you know, the, the loss of a child is right inconceivable once you have one. I mean, everyone knows it's sad, of course. But once you have one, you're right. like, well, I just would lay down and be done, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, Adam and I often talk about on our on our main podcast, Blast From Our Past, whenever we're watching movies that we watched as a kid, where you'll have a child and a parent or kids and adults, how when we were kids, we always just kind of identify with the kids. But now often, even if they're the bad guy, sometimes as an adult or as a parent, I can at least sympathize or empathize with those characters more now than I ever would have as as a child. So, yeah, I I don't honestly don't know how I would have reacted reading this book before I had children. So that is an interesting per- perspective, and actually one I'm I'm glad you were able to give us. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, you can just literally, like, The Little Mermaid, when she says, like, I'm 16 and I love him, and as a, you know, a 12-year-old, you're like, yeah, they're in love, and then as a parent, you're like, girl, you haven't even got a driver's (laughs) license yet, like, you know, or Mrs. Doubtfire, even, (laughs) you watch it, and you're like, oh, he was such an asshole, Sally Fields was right all along. (laughs) But he did love his kids. I will. I will give him that. He, he did. Love he his did. Kids. He did. He also brought a goat into her house. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like she clearly was paying for. Uh, but yeah, it's. It was. I. Uh, I'm. I'm glad that I re- reread it. I wouldn't have reread it um, if we weren't doing this. To be honest with you, because it. You know, mm-hmm. it was a good book. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't one that I felt like I needed to revisit. I thought I got. Yeah. Everything out of it, and I definitely didn't. So I. I appreciate that because i am gonna buy the second one and read the other part too because now i definitely want to finish it yeah yeah um so normally i kind of like read the blurb um (laughs) about this thing i'm not gonna read the whole blurb because it's actually pretty extensive but basically it just says mouse is the story of vladek spiegelman a jewish survivor of hitler's europe and his son a cartoonist 
who tries to come to terms with his father, his father's terrifying story, and history itself. And I think that's a that's a good just kind of introduction as to what what's about to happen uh, when you go into this book. Um, funny enough, you mentioned when you talked about the cover. Um, I've had I. I I bought this book pretty much immediately after you and I talked about doing this book. This has been a little while since we were able to get to it, um, but I'd had it, and recently my son went off to a uh, Boy Scout camp. Um, and I'll, I'm gonna get your take on this as a, as a mother to a Boy Scout camp uh, where he was gonna be like camping for a whole week, and he wanted to bring some books, and he knew that I had bought this book, and so he asked me. He said, you know can I take that book? And immediate, my first immediate thought was, yes, I think this is something you need to know about. I think you can take it. And then I looked at the cover and I'm like, you know what? This is going to lead to questions from people that I don't want to have questioning him about. Yes. I don't mind if someone asks me about it because I, I'm easily, I can easily defend myself on that, but I don't want to put him in that situation. So I ended up, uh, sending him with a different book instead. Um, Actually, one that my wife was like, he probably shouldn't read those. And then I was like, here, take this. Um, well, have you read any of the um, uh, Dresden Files books? No, I, I think I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Okay. That's, um, it's one of those. Who writes? Who wrote it? Uh, Butcher. Okay. That's his name. Yeah, Butcher. yeah. Jim, Jim Butcher. Um, it's, about a, it's sort of about a modern day wizard. Um, it's a little bit more um, raw. But the first book I thought was fairly clean, so I was fine with him reading it. I actually, honestly, I don't know if you've even read it, so it wouldn't have mattered. Um, but he's been reading a lot of comics lately, so he was definitely interested in this. In fact, I, I told him, I said, after we record this, I will give you this book uh, and you can read it. Yeah, I, um, I would absolutely let my 12-year-old read this. There's a couple parts that are a little rough, but I mean, it's nothing that isn't already... No, there, no the, the thing... You know, there's a little bit of language, but honestly, nothing he hasn't heard in even, you know, the average Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, and there is there was one thing where I'm like, okay, there is some nudity, but it's not very obvious that it's nudity. And it's someone in a bathtub. And, and so I was like, and actually, that's not even the horrifying part about the person in the bathtub. It's. Um, I guess I should say spoiler. I mean, if you're listening to this, clearly you've either read it or you're just listening to this to find out about it. Um, but the, one of the characters commits suicide. Um, and so that's the one I was talking about. So anyway, let's kind of get into this. Uh, I will say, so the this is stories in two volumes, and we just read volume one. Yeah. Um, now that I've read volume one, I cannot wait to get volume two because I've got to – I've got to finish that part. This basically is a retelling of how the cartoonist Art Spiegelman basically interviews his father about his time as a Polish Jew um, in this book leading up to the father and the mother going to Auschwitz. Yeah, ends with them getting dropped off at Auschwitz, yeah. Yeah. And it ends on a cliffhanger for sure. I. I do remember the the copy that I had a long time ago was uh, both volume one and two combined. So I did mm-hmm. not know where it ended. When this ended, right. I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> right there. I, I actually thought it had gone further. Um, but yeah, it, it ends right when stuff starts to really hit the fan. Um, but I like that the 
majority of this book is the lead up to when they get to Auschwitz, because right. a lot of times when you read Holocaust stories, it's about people's time in the camp or even after yes. um, you it's you don't often see the lead up to it as much. Um, and it's seeing seeing the slow progression of uh, you know, just them living their normal life to, mm -hmm. you know, the little restrictions that start getting put in place, the little tiny things that start happening, the rumors that start, and then just slowly, 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 it's like the the frog in the boiling water. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse until it's too late. And um, you don't see that as much as you see the actual really bad stuff usually. Um, yeah. It's actually funny you said that about not to backtrack a little about the cover art and, sure. and sending your son off to Boy Scout camp. I read this book a lot while I was at my daughter's soccer practices. Um, <laughs> and after the first one, I actually took like a piece of paper and folded it over the cover because right. I didn't, I just didn't want, a, you know, like you said, it's a bunch of like 12 year old girls. All I need is one of them to go home and be like, Quinn's mom was reading a book <laughs> with a swastika on it. Yeah. Um, because it is very jarring the right. the red it's it also has like bright red lettering and yeah so I did the same thing I was like I told her she could Quinn could read it but I was like you may not want to like bring it to your dad's house <laughs> like, maybe read it at it, home but yeah. it stays here yeah it stays here but um yeah it's just funny you said that I, I had the same concern yeah. um but yeah it is it is a slow it's a slow burn from right. their normal but everyday I, life I I found it to be absolutely fascinating because First of all, I love, I don't know about you, I love hearing family history. I've asked, you know, older relatives so many questions about stuff, probably to the point where they hate me coming to ask them. Um, I, I, you know, so many times I've asked my grandmother questions about, you know, when she was a kid and stuff. And, you know, at first she'd be like, you don't want to hear about this boring stuff. I'm like, of course I want to hear about this boring stuff. This is the, it's the things I don't know. It's what it was like at that time. You know, it's, I have fun now explaining to my child or my children really, uh, about the times before the internet, you know, the dark times. Yeah. The dark times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I told my daughter that Spotify didn't exist and you had to buy a CD with us or a tape with a song on it. And 19 mm -hmm. of those songs might be terrible, but you had to pay for all of them because you wanted that one song and that you yeah. couldn't just push a button on the computer and get it. Um, I'm the same way. So I I have one aunt who has no kids. I was the only kid in my family. My brother is well over a decade younger than me. So all of my Thanksgivings, Christmases, family events were just me with a bunch of adults. <laughs> so I learned mm -hmm. really quickly that if I just sat back, dealt the Uno cards, let the adults drink their wine, that I would start to hear some really good stories. Um, so they, you know, my, my grandmother, and my grandfather both have a lot of siblings and they would just start, you know, telling these stories from their childhood. And it was always crazy to hear some of the things that they don't seem that old to me, but they're talking about things that are like, you know, seem like mm -hmm. ancient history. And both my grandparents were born in like the thirties. So, I mean, they are older right. but you know still it's like if you just sit back and listen there was a lot that you could just overhear um I just used to like hearing stories about my mom as a kid when she would get in trouble mostly but <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah same, actually same with our mom our mom was one of the third of six oh, um and she, and she was clearly the rebel of them I think her and her and and her youngest brother who was the youngest I think were the two who were um kind of the rebels of the family um it's <laughs> this is going to be way too hard to not get off on tangents. I I can see what you mean. <laughs> um, 
but I mean, that's that's kind of how this story starts. And what's awesome is, and I really like how he does this. He he is um almost said narrates, but he you know he visualized also him asking his father the questions. So you're following along of the that the father the story the father is telling, but you're also simultaneously like each chapter starts and ends. And sometimes it's interrupted in the middle, but it mostly starts and ends with showing the artist talking to his father. Um, and what he's done, and just to, in case you didn't know, um, all of the um, nationalities uh, and the, the peoples um, are de- depicted by different animals. So in this one, all of the Jews are mice. All of the Nazis are cats. All of the Poles are pigs. And you do see in one spot in this particular book um, that the Americans are depicted as dogs. Um, I think in the second book there's other ones that come up. There's a lot more because the story takes place um, not just in, in in Auschwitz, but his journey from Auschwitz to the United States. So you see more nationalities in that one but in this particular book it really just is the the big ones are the mice who are the jews the nazis who are the cats and the poles who are the pigs yeah even to the point where when they're disguising themselves in the book um uh vladek and his wife they they're still drawn as mice but with a a pig mask like almost like a party mask like tied on um I liked that too because you could i mean for us as the readers we could clearly see it was a mask on uh, Vladek and or whatever characters were there but you could tell he's representing them um, pretending to be uh, just a regular pole and not Jewish and and whatever they needed to do to survive the situation they were in yeah and, and his his wife having uh more you know Jewish features where he could pass easier for Polish than she could her tail is sticking out because right and his isn't and it's because she's more obviously Jewish than he is um, you know, I assume obviously we don't know what she looked like as a as a human, but assuming you know her features and whatnot. So yeah, I, I really like that detail um, where they literally are like strapping. I think he's even holding the mask at one point. I think there's like a mm-hmm. a, a spot where he the mask is like hanging up on the wall or something. Or, okay. And and like it's literally a mask that he's taking off and putting on to yeah. to hide. Yeah. Versus you know just putting on like a persona like you would in real life. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I, I guess technically the name of this volume is my mother my my mother is my father bleeds history and and they even specify it's the mid 1930s to winter 1994. So going in you're knowing roughly what the timeline is, um, and you know that we don't have much time after that because only one year later the the war is going to end. Um, but he also divided it into six chapters, which I appreciate. Um, I don't know if those were if he released them um because this are all they all appeared as inserts in a magazine first for about 11 years so for this whole book to take place over 11 years he probably only did it as strips so i can imagine like maybe it was only uh one or one page a week or a month or a couple pages a month or something like that that you had to read if you if you got invested in the story when it first came out i imagine it took forever yeah. To feel like you got through it, you had to wait eleven years to get through the whole story. Yeah, you're in it for the long haul here. I'm I'm glad I got yeah. to read it in one piece. <laughs> yeah. Um. So chat. I'll just kind of I'm gonna kind of roughly break down what happens in each chapter. 
the first chapter um, is called The Sheik, and that's basically about Vladek's time as a single man, uh, you know, uh, perusing the ladies. Uh, he's got some lady who's really interested in him, but she's not interested, or he's not interested in her. And then he meets uh, Anya, um, who would become his wife. And basically that chapter ends, I think, with them getting married. Uh, yeah, and it's pretty clear, like, from the be- the get-go that his wife, Anya, is very frail mentally and physically. Like, she's she's depressed. Um, they, they talk pretty openly about it for, I mean, for the time frame, it's kind of surprising how accepting mm. her family especially seems to be about, like, hey, this is just how she is, and we got to protect her and, like, make sure she's okay. Um, which I think really makes you empathize a lot with her because she struggles through this a lot. She's not a strong person. Yeah. It's rough for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second one is called the honeymoon and I, I think I'm just kind of, I'm doing this based on memory. I did not read this in one sitting. I actually (laughs) read this over the week and I just read one chapter every night. So just to time myself out because I had other things to do, I was like, you know what? I'll just, there's six. I'll just I'll read it all week. I'll read one chapter every day and hope that I can remember everything by the time I get to it. Um, the honeymoon is is after they get married, kind of up to the point I think when they're forced to leave their home. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah. So they they get married. Um, that's where the whole situation with the, the seamstress happens. Um, they have their son, and then I it ends with. Um, them moving back home and Vladek gets drafted. Well, he's he's in the reserves yes. and then he gets drafted into like the the full into time the, into the Polish army. Yeah, the Polish army. Because yeah, yeah. now that now the Germans are starting to invade uh, Poland and and when they're starting to take everything over, um, yeah. there is actually a very nice map on the very back cover um, that uh, that was helpful that I would uh, constantly flip back to. Yeah, same. I, I had to I had to look at that quite a bit. Uh, my geography isn't super great. <laughs> I also did a lot no. of Googling of how to pronounce these <laughs> words and names. Yeah. And, I, and I still don't know. <laughs> there are a lot of things that were like just written in German. I'm like, I, I kind of get what's going on. I'm not going to bother trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, all right, so then we get into him in the war, which is kind of a crazy tale. Yeah. Um, so he, he, this was the the thing that got me in this part was his uh, his brother uh, starved himself and pulled out his own teeth so that he would mm-hmm. look unhealthy so he wouldn't get drafted. Um, and it worked, well, and he didn't get drafted. Um, yeah. But Vladek straight up says, like, I, I couldn't do that, so I get drafted. <laughs> well, and it's, it's and it's not just his brother. It's his father that does it. His oh, yeah, father yeah, yeah, basically is, it does that to him. Yeah. Um, and he, he does it one time, and it works. Yep. And then the next year, Vladek was like, screw this. I'm not going through that again. I'd rather go to war. Yeah, yeah. You know, your so. parents are rough when you'd rather go to war. <laughs> 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 um. But yeah, this uh, this is when it starts to get kind of like real, real, and I think he's mm-hmm. sort of um, starting to confront the reality of of what's going on. Um, he does seem a little nonchalant before this about yeah. He seems he, it's pretty made pretty clear once he marries Anya that they're very comfortable. Her family has a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. They're in the same field as him, so they give him a job, and it starts to the rugs getting pulled out, 
at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is when he kills someone for the first time. Yeah. And I agree. He And I think part of it being nonchalant is the way that the father is telling the story, looking back at it over, you know, 30, 40 years in the past. Um, I do, I kind of understand that in that uh, when I was in college, um, on occasion during the summers or during long breaks, like winter break or something like that, um, I would go work in the same building as my father because um, they would hire temporary workers to work in the uh, in the actual warehouse in the back. Um, and so I would just, you know, I'd get hired for two weeks and I'd just do a two week stint in the back and just help them with what they need. Or I do like a month during the summer or something like that, you know, just earn extra cash. And the guy who was in charge of the crew in the back was this kind of grizzled old Vietnam vet. Um, and, uh, I loved him to death. I remember cause his name was Barry Barrett. <laughs> I think it was awesome. That's and, a comic uh, name if I've ever heard one. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> um, and he uh, he volu- he actually volunteered to go into the Marines. And man, did that guy have some stories. And I was in the middle of college where I was uh, a music major, and I was actually I was composing a lot of music. So for my senior recital, I actually composed a four-movement work all based on stories that he told me about being in Vietnam. Oh, wow. And I actually, I call, I just called it memories from a Vietnam vet. And then each one was based on a story and I had to write, it was kind of like one of those ones where I had to write like the explanation in the notes so everyone could understand what was going on, um, which was fine. And it, and I sent him a recording of it because he wasn't able to make the performance. Um, but he was, he was actually great. He never thought anyone was, would care. And I was like, dude, I love your stories. And he was also kind of nonchalant about, you know, well, I had to kill this guy and blah 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 and like that, and and I knew he he had some stuff because he still suffered from flashbacks. He said uh, he said every every uh, uh, ceiling fan in his house ran completely silent because if he if he if it sounded like a motor running, he would have flashbacks of the helicopters. So um, I can at least I can kind of understand how the father might seem nonchalant as he's retelling these stories. Also, I think maybe if you don't if you don't do it nonchalantly, it might be too easy to get caught up in the emotion. Yeah, of whatever it is you're telling. Yeah, I definitely fully understand. I think a lot of people with trauma um, can speak about it very nonchalantly because it becomes so ingrained in your life that it is not a big deal sometimes for you, even when it is a big deal. If that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's you're absolutely right, especially the the language that the father, uh, the language that art writes as his father speaks is very casual like when you're reading it you are reading it in the voice of an old jewish man from new york oh absolutely i heard it in my head 100 just the the way he wrote it was i i'm i'm positive that i understand how his father spoke yeah um, because he did such a good job of just kind of either recreating or i'm sure in some cases writing exactly how he talked yeah. Even and in the English is not perfect. Um, there's right. grammatical errors and he phrases things incorrectly a lot. Um, he, he constantly says, Ack, which he always writes out as like a a c k. But I, I know mm-hmm. that sound. It's that Jewish throat like noise yeah. that I've heard every like New York <laughs> Jewish grandma say, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and when. Yeah, I heard that voice in my head as I was reading it. And I liked that because it. it helps you connect with the character rather than just having like written out 
and it was like stage direction, but like, you know, written out, like, this is what we did next. The, the way that he speaks is very mm-hmm. endearing. And uh, the weird diatribe on this one, but uh, when I was in culinary school, um, there were these two older ladies who joined right after I did. And um, one of them was from New York and she was Jewish and the other one was from Britain. And they did, they just kind of joined at the same time. So they became fast friends because they were the same age and we called them our grandmas. Um, cause we were, you know, all and stuff. And, uh, the, the lady who was uh, from New York sa- I mean, sounded like the prototypical, uh, what she would call herself as the New York Jewish princess. Yep. Um, and she, first of all, she treated all of us like she was her, her children, regardless of how old we were. <laughs> and she was, she was always trying to get me. Uh, to convert to Judaism, but she would she would do it in such like the funniest like nonchalant ways. It was I I was like, I, honey, I love you so much. You were I was like, I I I can't do it, but you <laughs> like if I did it for anyone, it would have been for her. It would be you, yeah. It would I be totally her. understand. That's adorable. Um, we all need a yeah. Jewish grandma in our life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, God, oh, I I feel bad because I can't remember her name, but I do remember that when um when she finished school, her and her husband ended up working at like um Trader Joe's and like she was like the demo lady who like did all the demonstrations in the back and she loved it she loved her job and unfortunately a, a few years into that her husband suddenly passed away and I actually don't know what happened to her because uh she was I think she was really uh hit hard by that um all right we got to get back to this book <laughs> before we start before this podcast becomes a completely different thing um uh, all right uh, third chapter. Oh, we said third chapter. Prisoner of War. That was his time um, uh, with the uh, Polish army and getting uh, captured, actually. Yeah, cap- uh, captured was... by the Germans as a Jew. I can't imagine anything no. more terrifying. Yeah. Um, and so into uh, number four. And I can't remember if he gets out by the end of it. Uh, yeah. So he volunteers for the labor camp and they send him mm-hmm. to the labor camp and then. I forget. I think he just gets released. I don't think they go too yeah. much into it as to why yeah. he he he's always he was always volunteering for work, and so he was constantly getting moved around. And then eventually, yes, he does just get released. Yeah, uh, and, um, the, and there's the connection to the the holiday, the Jewish holiday that he. Um, oh, that's right. He had a vision of his father telling him he would be freed on a certain Jewish holiday, and then he was. That was the day that he was sent to the labor camp, and then it also ended up being him and Anja's anniversary and I think the day Art was born yeah something like that yeah everything kind of lined up yeah um all right and then we kind of move on to the fourth one and here's where things start to get dicey with the Germans and it just kind of it's from here to the end of the book it basically each chapter just gets worse and worse and worse and they're and at first they're they're able to find work and to make you know and, and do things and then they get moved around and then they have to go into hiding. Um, what uh, you said you took some notes, so I'm I'm just going to ask you to kind of summarize these last three chapters. <laughs> I'll let you do my job for me. Um, so yeah, chapter four is where things start getting real bad. Um, Vladik and Anja and their son Re- Reshiv. I don't know how 
to pronounce that. I, you know, I, I I never figured out how to pronounce that name either. No, you know when you're reading a book and you can't pronounce something and your brain just goes, that's like, <laughs> and just makes a noise. That's what I did for a lot of these names. So um, they are living with Anja's family, Anya's family, and a, a lot of them. There are a lot of them living in one house. And then mm-hmm. um, things are just starting to get worse and worse. The factories are getting taken over. Any Jewish-owned businesses are getting taken over. Um, this is also the chapter where his in-laws friends are caught smuggling or doing something and they get hung in the town square oh, that's right. and left up yeah yeah which impacts uh vladek a lot he says he says something about like i i cry even now when i think of it or, or something along those lines mm-hmm. um and then this is also where vladek tells art that his mother um wrote journals throughout this entire experience and that when they were lost she rewrote them um when they came back when they i think when they i think he implies when they made it to america um Mm -hmm. and of course art uh immediately wants to read these journals yeah um this is also where uh the first you first you really start to see uh anya's fragility because this is when they start to it doesn't happen right away but they start to suggest that their son should probably go live somewhere else yes or with relatives in another town and she goes crazy. I will. I mean, li- literally, one of the panels is her like bloodshot eyes. I will never give up my baby. Never. Yeah. And I understand that. But it's it's, it's a hard thing because now you got to put yourself in in her shoes. Could you give up your child for the possibility of them being safer? Yeah. Or would you feel that they would be safer with you? not knowing what the outcome would be it's it's such an impossible choice yeah and it's i mean you don't want to think about it i personally have pretty bad anxiety so i think a lot about (laughs) uh terrible situations and you you know you're right the possibility of safety or stay with you and at least you know what's happening um yeah and again anya's not doing well (laughs) she's no uh she's pretty stressed out i uh, this is also the point where they start registering um, Jews. So Jews are mm-hmm. now required to go register and the elderly are just straight up being like shipped off to camps at this point. Mm-hmm. Not, not even like they're just getting on a train and off they go. Um, and uh, it's, it's getting bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it ends with, I think the, um, I think this is the part that ends with the, the elderly relatives they were with get shipped off at this point yes uh the one the one relative like his wife gets gets put in the line to leave yes and so he sneaks over to be with her even though he was told he could go home or something like that yeah they're basically keeping the quote-unquote healthy ones to i assume you know go to work camps um right and he's deemed healthy but he still goes on and then i think it just ends with them saying you know they were they were never seen again or something along those lines yeah yeah um uh, we also also we didn't mention, but uh, um, Vladek in the in the telling of it, um, or in and what would be, what was considered the present timeline, has remarried uh, to a woman who I can never remember her name. Mala. <laughs> Mala, that's right. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, Vladek and Mala do not get along. No, they don't at uh, at all. She's also a survivor. Mm-hmm. Um. And he's constantly accusing her of trying to steal his money. She's constantly accusing him of being so stingy. And I can't mm-hmm. even buy, you know, pantyhose because he won't give me money. Um, 
I don't entirely know why they got married, to be honest with you. You know, I and they even they mentioned that they got married uh, like a year and a half after Anya essentially kills herself. And the only thing I can think of is, is he just didn't want to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing I could come come to. Yeah. There's even a oh, this was rough. I, you just reminded me of this. Um, She she says she needs new clothes and he literally brings her to his. Anya's closet and is like, here's all, here's clothes. Where are my dead wife's clothes? Oh, that's right. She actually says, I, f- I feel like he married me just because we were the same size. Yeah. Yeah. And then an art makes some joke about, you know, he's, he's always been stingy. It would save him on buying a wardrobe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I do have to say though, uh, art, art specifically credits um, Mala with helping uh, with translations and they seem to have a good relationship. Um, yeah. He seems to be very empathetic towards her. Um, I think they both kind of, you know, realize how, how his father is. Um, and it, I think, I mean, it, his mother commits suicide when he's, a, I believe an adult. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a situation where like he, he had young children and needed to remarry so they could have like a mother. So that's right. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think he just didn't want to be alone. Because he does not do well after his, his wife's suicide. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, it's it really seems because they this is all he all he really is talking about is Anya, and even even Mala says like he still has pictures of Anya all over the house, and stuff. So yeah, yeah. He he very clearly, um, unlike poor Lucia in the beginning, who he dates for three to four years <laughs> before being like. No, I like this other lady. Um, he, uh, he, he really. I, you can even tell at towards the beginning of that relationship, he's really not that into it. Yeah, and I was like, you know and, what? I mean, not, no harm, no foul. And then he, there's just like this one cell where it's like, yeah, we dated for three to four years, and I'm like, whoa, okay. I mean, you can't really call her crazy <laughs> right. when you let her on for three to four years. She does try to sabotage his relationship with Anya. Um, she yeah. basically writes Anya a letter and is like, your boyfriend's a scumbag, and he convinces Anya that it's a jealous ex and and they let it go but yeah he's definitely I mean one of the reasons I like these characters is they are flawed they're absolutely human uh-huh. give me a flawed protagonist I, I do not like perfect protagonists so I like that we see this side of him yeah um and so all right so we get into chapter f- five yep it's called mouse holes sorry flipping pages as i'm looking at this yeah i have the book here too um yeah this oh this is the good one um this is where uh art had written a comic about his mother's suicide which we see in full in the book mm-hmm. and um his father found it and read it and uh, he comes over and mala tells him that his father had found it um and it's um that's pretty weird it, it is drawn a little weird. It's presented kind of weird. It clearly looks like a cartoonist attempt at being artistic while telling a story. Yes. Because um, I think... Um, it remi- I don't know. It reminded me of um, old uh, Mad Magazine cartoons. Okay. That kind of style. Yeah. yeah. Very absurdist. He's He's wearing a prison outfit the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's kind of strange. So his dad reads it um, about his mother's suicide. He's very, very cold to his mother. Um, right before she commits suicide, she asks him, um, she straight up asks him, D- you know, do you still love me? And he goes, yeah, sure, ma. And then she yeah, uh, kills herself. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. And his, uh, the depiction of his father at the funeral is like, he's deranged and climbing on top of the coffin and screaming mm-hmm. Anya's name. So, I mean, we really see from art's perspective, how his father just shut down and, you know, lost it when his mother committed suicide. Uh, Let's see. Yeah. Oh, so this is where I'm talking about. So in this comic is there's one where he, the panel says, but for the most part, I was left alone with my thoughts. And it's a picture of a naked woman roughly in the bathtub with all of these words of, you know, th- things that, you know, menopausal depression, Hitler did it, mommy, and then bitch. Yeah. At the end. And just just all all the things I'm sure he wrestled with. As to what could have caused uh, the suicide. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, like, I'm amazed she made it this far. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because clearly we're at the point where she's now, you know, out of the camps in America, has an adult child. It, it's pretty strongly implied that Art's born after they're in the camps. Um, yeah. And she, you know, I thought at the beginning of this book that she was going to be, I didn't think she was going to make it through. <laughs> like... <laughs> Right. Even lead the lead up to this. There's a couple points where I thought like, oh, like this is it. She's she's going to, you know, either not survive this or, you know, something's going to happen. But right. it's kind of sad that she made it through all of that and then was living a quote unquote normal life and couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was pretty rough. And uh, the I mean, the rest of the chapter is their life as they basically have to go from hiding place to hiding place. Um, they show. uh different you know uh things of of how they hid behind walls or under coal bins and stuff like that yeah more of their family and friends are starting to get taken away and and like their town goes from like i think it was something crazy like like forty thousand jews to like almost just a thousand jews yeah, I think this is the point where they're just loading them up into buses and shipping them off um, yeah. pretty frequently, like just as, you know, like routine. Um, and this is also where they finally decide to send their son um, away to be with, um, I think it's, it's a family friend and yeah. their children. Um, Anya finally agrees and uh, they, they send him off. Um, so now it's and- just... Uh, Vladik and Anya left. There's the two of them. But yeah, this yeah. is like the, the noose is not to jump ahead. The noose is tightening and it's like you said, they're just basically taking it one day at a time right now, trying to survive. Right. And um, I, I mean, the, these last two chapters are really just kind of one continuous story as, as it gets worse of yeah. them going from high to place, trying to, trying to survive being betrayed by other people who were, basically also just trying to survive by betraying their friends. Yeah. Um, and even one where he talks about um, uh, the one who gave them up from a hiding place in the attic. Uh, he eventually buries the guy cause yeah. the, they just, they ended up just shooting him. The the Nazis just shot him. Yeah. He was in hiding with a the bunch of the family and this guy, you know, out probably doing the same thing they do every night, scouring, looking for food. Um, you know, begs, you know, basically says, I, I have a starving wife and, and child, you know, baby that you know, I'm just trying to feed and they give him some food and send him off. And the next day, the 
the Germans show up and they take them. They he, he ratted them out basically. <laughs> ratted right. them out. Um, this is also mm-hmm. where we learn that um, Rishu is dead. Uh, their son. Yeah. And oh, ugh, that was I, bad. <laughs> it what and and how it happens is so. Ugh, I didn't know how to feel honestly after it. So basically, the town that they are in. They think it's a, a safe town, and it turns out eventually no, and the Germans are coming for him. And the mother who is taking care of Rishu and I think her kid and maybe somebody else's kid basically goes crazy and is like, we are n-, basically she screams like we are not dying in the gas chamber. And she just poisons them all. Yeah, she gives them cyanide caplets that she keeps with her all the time, yeah. yeah. And again... <sighs> Is it, it's the, the possibility, I mean, they could go to the camp and they could survive, but they're probably not. And they're probably going to suffer horrible things. Right. Or she can give them a peaceful, I mean, as peaceful as cyanide poisoning can be. Right. Death. And I guess I was also very conflicted on this because I'm (laughs) like, because of course you think of your own children and your own family. What do you do in your, in that situation? You know, would you... Could you do that? You know, it, if if it came down to it, oh, it was it was something I was not ready to think about because it kind of you know that the child is dead because they talk about it earlier. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know it's you know it's coming, and then just all of a sudden it was sort of like oh yeah, and then this is how we found out what happened to the child, and you're like oh, because now you're immediately you put yourself in that position. Yep, and I actually remember what? when I initially read this. Like, before I had a kid being like, oh yeah, like I like kill me. I would rather be dead than go to a concentration camp. Like forget mm. it, just just off me. But again, like as a parent, now I have to be like, well, I have somebody else to protect. Like what what would I do if that was me and my kid? Would I kill us for sure or try to to go to the camp and stay together? You know, it's it's rough. There's also the page before that. Um oh, this this part hit me hard. And I know you're gonna know what part I'm talking about. Um when the Germans start rounding up the children and they're talking about the small children. I'm presuming like, you know, three, four years old that won't stop crying. And there's that one cell of, what do you call it in a thing? I don't know. Picture frame (laughs) that one (laughs) um, drawing of a Nazi soldier just smashing the kid against the wall. I'm literally like sitting in a field watching my kid play soccer and I'm like, oh, and then I start (laughs) crying and I had to like take a second and like go back to my car and like chill out for a minute because that was that was rough. And it comes out of nowhere. It goes from him. uh, It actually I'm looking at it now. The the frame, the the shot before that is art and Vladek talking. They're just walking next to each other talking. And then Mm -hmm. it immediately the next thing you see is that that scene. Um, And again, he. He's talking about it so casually, which I, I, you have to, I guess, to protect yourself Mm -hmm. because he's just like, uh, mostly most they took were kids, some two or three, um, the kids were screaming and screaming and they wouldn't stop. So the Germans swing them by the legs against the wall and nevermore they screamed like just, they just did that. That just happened. I think the only thing I can think of is I think right after that or before that he, Vladek didn't witness that. It was somebody else who witnessed it and then told him about it. Yes. Yeah. He says so, that he was told that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, cause if, if that was something I witnessed, I don't know that that's something I would ever 
I don't know if I would have the strength to talk about that. I mean, maybe I would. It, I'm not in that position, so it's impossible to to say. Yeah, yeah, that was so. that was rough, and this is the kind of point where I was like, oh, okay, like, yeah, there's we're starting to lose hope at this point. And we know what's going to happen. We, we know how the story right. ends. I mean, we know they eventually survive, but we still know that it's going to be bad. Um, yeah. And this is where they also start hiding, like really, really hiding. Like they're no longer just living in the ghetto. They're now hiding in like a coal bin, like a, a secret passage behind like a, a coal bin. And they're frequently having to deal with uh, German you know, like raids and stuff where they just have to hide and hope that today isn't the day that <laughs> they get found because they know. Right. As soon as they get found, they know what's happening. Yeah. yeah. And um, we kind of get to chapter six. And chapter six is a lot of them hiding in one place and then ha- getting betrayed or uh, told they have to leave. And, you know, because people, people, the people who are hiding them are also panicking because th- I'm sure they are likely to get shot if they're found hiding people. So, you know, it's it's a lot of that. And then move, they're moving like back and forth between like, uh, some sort of stable to someone's house, but then they, when the husband comes home, uh, like once every couple of months or so, they have to hide in the, in the cellar for like ten days. Yeah. And then, um, and then eventually they decide them deciding, okay, we're gonna make a break for Hungary, and of course, Ani doesn't want to go. Yeah. She thinks they're they're safe. And in one, on on one hand, Anya's right. But on the other hand, like they were gonna get found. I don't, I, I don't see a situation of where of them staying in their location where they don't get found eventually. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like hiding in someone's barn at one point. Like, yeah, they they're going to get found out. And this is again the point where just the the Germans are just taking over and over and over. And um, even the you know the the people that are hiding them and helping them, it, it's commented on multiple times that he's paying them very well. Yeah. Um. Because like you said, they're they're risking their neck to do this. Um, he, you know, he uses the, it's pretty clear that he's very good with the, um, business, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because consistently throughout the story, he uses his skills in dealing with people to get get help, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, at one Make point, deals, like one lady panics food. and like kicks him out. Like literally, it's just like you got you got to go. The police are coming. Yeah. You got to get out of here. And they're literally just wandering the streets with nowhere to go. Yeah. Ugh. So eventually, they make arrangements to go to Hungary. They get on the train. When the train gets to the next town, the Gestapo gets on. They get caught. And basically, we end with them getting taken to Auschwitz, and that's where the story ends. Essentially, yeah, yeah. The the gates of Auschwitz with the work will set you free across the top. So um, that's the end of the book. And I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this: Have you ever been to Germany and visited a concentration camp? I haven't. Um, I I've been to Canada. That's the extent of my international <laughs> travel. Okay. Um, I did have a uh, nerd alert. I was in NJROTC in high school and we did a huge section on World War II. So we had basically a half a year, but we did nothing but study World War II from the European and Pacific perspectives. So mm-hmm. I've always known the timeline, this happened and that happened and that happened, but right. um, we didn't go that much into like stuff like this. Um there is one final part after they get dropped off at Auschwitz. It goes back to current time mm-hmm. and um, art or uh, 
Vladek reveals that he destroyed Anya's journals. That's right. And Art is incensed because um, in theory, the words that he's saying is because he's upset that he doesn't have them for his book that he's been working on. In reality, right. I think it's because he lost a connection to his mother and it it ends with Art leaving and muttering murderer about yep. his father because he, he feels he's killed his mother by taking away those journals. That was heartbreaking yeah because he just he just so he just it seems like he really really wanted that connection to his mother that just got pulled right out from underneath him yeah and a hell of a way to end the book honestly yeah yeah because now i now i'm like oh god now i have to go get that second book because i've got to continue the story yeah and now i want to know like you know what happens to him in ashwitz and and how he gets out and how he gets to america i'm 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 now invested i want to know um, so I actually brought up the, the concentration camp thing. I actually have been to a concentration camp. Um, I did not go visit Auschwitz when I was in Germany, but, um, we took a big family trip to Germany. There was like 20 of us and we were in Munich. And one day, um, a few of us went not uh, like we didn't take the children or my wife insisted that none of the children went. So we, they went and did something else. And my father and I, and I think a couple of those, but mostly it was just my father and I who were walking around, um, went to Dachau. And Dachau was like the first concentration camp. Yeah, that was, a, that was notorious for being one of the worst too, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's obviously not all still there, but enough of it is still there. Enough of the buildings are still there. And, um, you know, clearly the Germans have found, a, I think, a healthy way of acknowledging the past and that how things, you know, bad things happened and still moving on at the same time. Because, you know, I'm trying not to get political here, but it's hard for, I can tell you, it's, it's hard as Americans to admit when we've done something wrong. Like, we've had concentration camps of our own. Yes. We had the Japanese internment camps during <laughs> World War II. And it, and you know it, it not enough uh, attention is is paid to it, and I, I think the Germans have had a, a healthy mindset of okay we have to acknowledge such a, you know such a, a heinous thing happened we have to acknowledge it but then we we're, we're gonna move on from that mm-hmm. um, yeah and not ignore it um, but you know acknowledge it and ad- ad- admit that wrongdoing was done. Um, and Dachau, uh, mostly it was just kind of buildings, and you could see, like, the outlines of where, like, the bunkhouses used to be because most of the bunkhouses had been destroyed. Um, they had one that they rebuilt so that you could see what it was like inside the bunkhouse, um, which, um, it you know, it was, just, it's, it was like four, three, you know, four or five bunks stacked high, you know, with rows and rows down for, for people to sleep. Um, but the thing that got me was they actually still had the shower, quote unquote, uh, the gas chamber. And we did go in. And I can tell you this. I don't care that that happened 60, 70, 80 plus years ago. When you walk into something you knew was used as a gas chamber, you make sure nobody closes the fucking doors. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're braver than me because I, I don't know that I could walk in there. Um, I'm not. I'm not religious or even spiritual or even any of that like woo woo stuff but vibes exist and i can't imagine the 
the vibes that are around that place. That sounds stupid. Ugh. Don't cut that out. Don't. <laughs> I'm talking about vibes in the Holocaust, but <laughs> you know what I mean. I the energy that's in a place like that is right. probably very intense. It was, and I what what didn't help is I, I walked in. I'm roughly six feet even, and the the ceiling was maybe four inches above my head. And so the whole thing just felt enveloping. And it felt like, like if anyone closed the doors, I would have had some sort of like panic attack. Um, because like it, I can't imagine like being told to go in there and then just them locking the doors and what took place. And, and even though like I, I was trying to be in the moment and be like, okay, I'm I'm sitting in history that is important to know, and it is important to witness, and you know, too you know, too way too many people died for me to ignore um, the importance and the significance of where I'm at. I could not get out of that room fucking fast enough. Yeah, I'm like I I'm like okay, I'm trying to take this in, and I'm like, all right, I I've got to get out of here. And so, you walk in one way, and then you walked out the other way just to see like the the room like the other room with all the other stuff in it as a man i i i don't know that i would have been able to walk back into that room had i needed to i don't i read another book and maybe it was night um i another holocaust um memoir book and i remember reading a part where the they were getting walked up to the gas chamber and mm-hmm. even as they were getting the the character was getting walked to the chamber knowing full well what was about to happen and what had had been happening in those those rooms mm-hmm. there were people around them still saying like it's it's just a shower we just we're it, it can't be re- they can't be really doing that like mm-hmm. it was n- the denial not just outside of the camps of what was happening but like in the camps people were still denying that like they you know that this was happening um which is crazy to me because you know it's it's easy to dismiss when you're on the outside as things as rumors, which is the reason a lot of, you know, a lot of Americans were clueless as to what was, a lot of Germans were clueless as to what was going on in these camps at the time. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I wish I could remember what it was, but they, even at the moment that they were being led into the room, they were still had that hope that maybe it really is just a shower and we're going to be okay. And I mean, obviously that's not the case, mm-hmm. but yeah, this, this book's a rough read. I told you that when you, yeah, <laughs> I was like, this is like, yep. It's kind of like Requiem for a Dream. Like you watch it and you go, all right, I watched yes. it. I don't need to do that again. That's exactly right. That's what that is one of those movies where I'm like, I saw it once. I'm good. I don't know. I don't think I ever need to say it again. Nope. Or see it again. Excuse me. Um, it's actually just funny because I um years ago, uh, uh, right before my wife and I got married, um, my cousin uh, lived with us for a little bit, and he had asked me to watch a movie, and I said, this is your. I said, this is a big movie. You should watch this. And I left. He's like, aren't you going to watch this with me? And I was like, fuck no. It's actually funny you say that because it's the same thing that happened to me. I, I had a friend that had seen it and I I didn't know anybody that had seen that hadn't seen it. And anyone and I wanted to watch it, but I didn't really want to watch it alone. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it's a it's a it's rough watch by yourself. Yeah. And I knew that I knew going in. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I don't really want to watch this alone. So I said to my friend who had already seen it, like, we watch it with me. And she was like, bless her heart. I love you, Sarah. <laughs> thank you. She was like, I will put it on and I will be here while you watch it. And she just played on her laptop, put her headphones on, whatever. She was in the room with me, but like she had seen it and was like, like she was good. After the first like 10 to 15 minutes, she was like, no, I'm just going to headphones on, just going (laughs) to go on Tumblr for a little bit. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and I had said that when 
you wanted uh had asked you know um what what graphic novel i'd liked and i was like it's it's my favorite but it's it's rough it's yeah but i do think it is important and i think people absolutely should read it for sure and i think uh you know people trying to ban it are just nutso because yeah first of all i don't think there's that anything that's that horrible in it no and you can't you know and you can't you can't deny history you can't push even the bad stuff you have to acknowledge the bad stuff um and it's 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 the only way we're gonna grow and you know just just because it was bad doesn't mean it didn't happen and you can't ignore it just because you don't like it yeah exactly so. and uh i'm actually i mean i'm I'm glad that it is getting attention so you mentioned it is an older book i think you said the mm-hmm. book was published in like the the 90s i think yeah the 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 actual graphic novel in full form was published in 92 yeah but it started as a comic strip essentially in the in in the raw magazine basically from 80 to 91 yeah so i, I think it's important that it's it's getting talked about again and like you said, it's just making people go out and buy it and read it. And I think that's good. I think people should, for sure. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there was one part pretty early on um, where he mentions um, something about, like, it's just kind of starting to get bad. And, and Jewish people were getting, like, assaulted in the street. Um, mm-hmm. And he's, he says the police did nothing. Right. And I just, I literally wrote in my notes, in parentheses, sounds familiar <laughs> um and i think it's important to read a story like this and realize that mm-hmm. you don't wake up one day in a concentration camp you know it's it's right. a slow steady march there and if we're not careful like you said we can start to repeat these things and we don't we don't need yeah. to be doing that um but yeah this is an amazing book the art is also great i really it's very simple but yeah. i really like the art style um it feels very um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It. I'm gonna say gritty, but it feels very like true to the the tone of the story. It, it's not flowery or right. I mean, they're it's not all black and white. Yeah, so. yeah. It's it's not um, it's not anything crazy. I mean, it's not like amazing art where like every frame is photorealistic. It is very simple, right. but I mean, even to the point where it's sometimes a little difficult to tell some of the characters apart because they all just mm-hmm. are mice. Right. <laughs> they all look the same, but um, I I really liked that too. Um, though I also noticed uh, when I was flipping through it again that it does they don't really mention it but at some point you just start to see the uh, the star of David show up on their clothing right I, I, I did notice that eventually I was like oh wait I'm I'm seeing the the sort of the Jewish like armband that they had to wear yeah Um, and you don't you don't they don't mention it it just happens yep just all of a sudden you notice that that Vlad and his family are, are wearing the the star of David and it's mm-hmm. he doesn't even bring up like oh yeah and then we had to go get these you know these things it's just it just happens and it's not even acknowledged really mm-hmm. um which is ugh, it's crazy just but it's it's totally worth worth the uh the read and the time that it at least it's a quick read so yeah yeah absolutely yeah That's- uh well Jody thank you so much uh, for coming on here to discuss this with me. I'm, I'm so glad you suggested it. Um, and I'm so glad you agreed to read it again and come on here and, and discuss your thoughts. Um, it is, I, it is absolutely an important book and I, I see, and I understand why it was a, a Pulitzer prize winning, uh, graphic novel. And, um, again, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, this was, I mean, 
it's been a long time since I had to read a book and then uh, speak on it afterwards. So it really made me um, read with a lot more, uh, you know, attention to what's happening and thinking like, all right, I got to like really look at this and see these themes and things that are happening. So I, it's been a long time since I did that. So I appreciate it. I'm always down for a reread. I love rereading and rewatching things I've already read or seen. <laughs> so I'm always all about that. So um, yeah, it was, it was good. And, and I know I had mentioned, like, I kind of joked about like, oh, this is going to be rough. And, and it was, it's a little tough to read, but it's, it's not mm-hmm. going to like ruin your day or anything, but no, it'll definitely give you a little things to think about. I did read this at the same time I was rereading Flowers for Algernon. I've never read that. Oh, bro. It's, it's also rough. <laughs> and it also involves a little mousy. So I thought oh, that okay. was, that was, um, <laughs> that was coincidental, but uh, don't recommend that. Don't read two emotionally devastating books <laughs> side to side. I did have to take a break and switch back to something a little more <laughs> laid back. But yeah, this was super fun. And, um, you know, I like I had said, I I don't read comics, but I might have to grab grab a couple and see what they're all about. <laughs> well, uh, if you need suggestions, I've, I've, I've got plenty of good ones. That I'm sure I could start you off. On. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Do you have any... Thing. typically when I bring on a guest they also have another podcast or something they want to promote but I wonder you were the first person to mention this book to me so I was like oh I have to have you on regardless is there anything you have that you want to promote or uh I don't really like have anything to promote I don't I'm just like a normal person I don't have like a podcast or anything like you well, guys I will do. say I will say this if you do want to hear more of Jody, you can find her uh popping up on uh throwback trivia takedown She's been on at least a few episodes. She hosted uh, our uh, breast cancer awareness episode last year, right? Last year? Yeah, I think that was last year. Yeah. Man, things move fast. I know. (laughs) Um, So uh, you can go over there and check her out. And you've been on Trivial Warfare. Yeah. Have you been on any other trivia podcasts? Uh, Yeah, I did. I was on a um, run of Bloodsport on Triviality. I got eliminated first. So quick listen, if you want to catch me on that one, I think it was like two, that was like two or three years ago now. Um, And then I hosted an episode of Triviality because they heard me host the breast cancer episode and Neil reached out and uh, was like, hey, heard you on Throwback Trivia Takedown. Do you want to do an episode for us? Um, So that was wicked fun. So my takeaway from that is that other podcasters are listening to our to they our are. trivia podcast. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he he emailed me within like two weeks of that episode coming out. So def- absolutely, and had absolutely nothing but amazing things to say about you guys. They they all, uh, you know, he he loves you guys too. So that was super fun. Um, I will say, speaking of breast cancer, since you mentioned mm-hmm. plugging something, sure. um, my stepmother passed from breast cancer a few years ago. She was very young. Um, if you do have a couple extra bucks and you feel like it, you can Google the Vicki Lynn foundation. It's a foundation in her name where super simple, they just take money and they give it to a local family that is struggling with cancer to use for whatever they need medical bills. I mean, gosh, a spa day, any, anything mm-hmm. that they need. Um, it's nothing crazy. It's not a big, huge charity. It's just something set up by, um, Vicky's family. Um, so if you do feel the need to give back, that's a great, uh, a great cause. Um, it literally is a, just a check given to, there's nothing in between, nothing's taken off the top. It's just straight to a family that, that needs it. So, um, and get yourself checked all the time, men, ladies check all of the things because we don't need to lose more people than we already have. <laughs> all right. 
Well, thank you so much, Jody. And ladies and gentlemen, that was another episode of Comics Underground. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.